0: welcome to the accounting technology fireside chat podcast now sit back and enjoy while nick and trevor help you use your technology to make money and delight your clients well hello and welcome back to the accounting technology fireside chat my name's nick Bojad, and today i'm by myself trevor unfortunately has got caught doing a bunch of other things like work that he's paid for. Um, So I'm going to be with you today talking about value based pricing. And seeing as I've got some history in that, I'm going to give you a number of ideas of what I've seen as I've gone through the traps. I'm going to give you some parallels on how this has affected the IT industry. And I'm going to give you my view of how this could affect accountants, how you can do it really well, and how you can think about it. So On with the show, let's go. So value-based pricing. So the first time I had in my head the idea of doing that was in about 1998. So just before the thing we in the technology industry called the dot-com crash, I was thinking about how do I change how we bill customers for projects. And at the time, I was working in a technology stack called systems management. And systems management allows us to manage lots and lots of computers from a single place really easily, and it drives a significant reduction in cost. In fact, for the organizations we are working with, the reduction in cost was so large um, that I thought it would be nice for us, We'd, we'd earn far more money if we could actually share in some of that reduction of cost. And I also thought that was better for the customer. So instead of having to shell out for a project, irrespective of how that project worked out, we could have some skin in the game and also say, well, you're not going to pay us unless this project actually delivers value to you. And at the time we were looking at it and we approached a number of customers and a lot of them gave us feedback that there's no way we could find out really how much they were saving because they weren't going to give us access to any of their books and records to do that. So that in the IT industry was a concept back then that kind of fell flat. But it also let me think that that's kind of perfect for accountants because as accountants you have access to their books and records you can see how much money your actions are saving them. And you can go and use that to justify why you're charging this much, how I saved you money, etc., etc. So there's a really valuable point there that the the concept of pricing for value is something that works specifically well for accountants and doesn't necessarily work um, for the rest of industry, for example. Talking of industry, let's talk about the IT channel. So in information technology, there's a there's a bunch of different areas of, of our business, but the area I'm going to talk about specifically is the IT channel. That's the bit of the business that takes technologies out to end customers. And it's built really in a three-tier model. At the top, we have the vendors that build products. And so you'll have heard of some of those. They're guys like Microsoft and Cisco and used to be guys like Novell and, and all those guys. And then in the middle we have a, a distribution layer. We call them distributors, and their role is to look at um, the technology um, that people want to warehouse and to act as a bank for the people at the bottom, the resellers who are actually out selling and delivering solutions to clients. So that's the the IT channel. And the way the IT channel used to work, and I'm sure a lot of you will be familiar with this, is we used to turn around um, every three years or so, sell you a couple or more servers, um, some services to get it implemented, configured and running, um, and then charge you a little bit of support ongoing to, to look after those. And that model's now shifted, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But most of my industry, the business model was built around those kind of lumpy, what we call lumpy from a price point of view engagements, where we go to a customer, um, we come up with a quote and a project and you'd sign off, you know, 100k worth of technology. We'd implement a big server with flashy lights and all sorts of things. Um, we'd do some implementation, get it rolled out to your staff and that was it. And you really wouldn't see us very much for another three years till we came back and, and did the same thing. Now, that changed in and around, you know, about 2010. So just before 2008, 2009, into 2010, what had happened in the big end of town is we'd created these, these deals called outsourcing. And that's where an organization says, we're not going to run information technology internally. We're going to get a third-party company to do it for us. And that hadn't really drizzled down to the smaller end of town. I'm, my first job was as a, an IT guy employed full-time by a 60-person accounting firm. That was my first job in IT. And there were lots of those people around. And that then moved into what we now call the the managed service providers. And I'm sure many of you don't really know what managed service providers mean. And I can tell you, many people in my industry don't know, don't know what that means either. But effectively, what that is, is that's organizations saying, we're not going to run our IT internally. We're going to outsource it to another organization. And in the big end of town, that's really cool because you can outsource to very large organisations with deep pockets and lots of resource. In the smaller end of town, that's a bit harder and you end up outsourcing to a local managed service provider or smaller IT organisation with varying results. It can either be brilliant or or it can be it can have a number of issues. Um, so working at how you run your IT is, is a really important point and, and that leads us to something that happened in and around twenty ten. And in about 2010, um, Microsoft um, started on this bandwagon talking about this technology stack called the cloud. And cloud computing was different. In the world of cloud computing, at least the vision of cloud computing, you wouldn't have any servers or, or infrastructure. You'd basically buy your computing by the week or month or user. And you'd buy that from a major vendor and they'd look after all of the backend and infrastructure. And so cloud is things like Xero and Office 365. And if you think about those things, you don't run Xero on a server, you don't run Office 365 on a server. Office 365 and Zero are run by the vendor. They are responsible for delivering a service to you rather than delivering technology. And so as this started to introduce, it caused chaos in my industry kind of like when zero was introduced, it caused chaos to the accounting industry. And the reason it caused chaos in my industry was everyone was forced to move from these big lumpy, you know, 30 to 100 grand payments every three years from their clients to a tiny bit every month. And that broke all sorts of things. That broke compensation plans for salespeople. That broke financing models, that broke revenue models, that broke cash flow, all sorts of things started breaking. The other thing that we could all see when we started doing that was there was this race to the bottom. Effectively, we had at the beginning of this journey, everybody had a mail server running either in their offices or potentially somewhere else. Most people had it running in their office. And everybody was going to move to this new Office 365 thing. And there's great business to move them. But once they'd moved, that was it. Um, we'd no longer have a business of selling service. We'd no longer have a business of selling services to migrate. You'd be on a service. It would be kept up to date by the vendor. Um, And the margins and and the amount of money you'd receive from that was shrinking down to about 6% of of what the customer spent. And what the customer spent was way less than they spent before. So suddenly you needed to have a different business that went after more customers and became more efficient. Now, this sounds familiar... I think it is. When I went and talked to accounting firms in the beginning of, of The World of Zero, and they're talking about monthly or quarterly pricing for accounting services and doing all-you-can-eat monthly pricing for, for, for accounting for small and medium businesses, people were panicking the same way that they were in my, my industry. They were going, but, but how do we charge for this? What do you mean we'll give them anything they want for a, a certain amount of money? What, what, how, how does this service thing work? And so that created some chaos and it created some fear and it created a bunch of people arguing for or against um, how accountants and IT people, people were going to bill. But what everybody missed was how the client or the customer wanted to consume the service. And, and I think that's always fascinating. There are people out there who want to pay for their IT or their accounting services or any services as a monthly subscription. There's quite a lot of those there's also people who don't want to pay for it as a monthly subscription and will pay for it as it's done or pay for it yearly or, or just want to pay up front for something and have it for 10 years and sweat the asset and then pay for it again in an another 10 years. So that leads us to a really interesting space where where you can't just be one or the other. You, you have to be everything, either everything and, and deal with as many clients as you want or be one thing or the other and know that a certain amount of clients – won't use their, your service because that's not what they want. So that brings us to the world of, of monthly billing, which is kind of funky. Um, and that also brings us to the world of timesheets. So one of the things everybody said when we went to monthly billing was, hooray, we no longer need to do timesheets. Now, my feedback from that was, if you don't need to do timesheets, how do you know that the price you're billing is actually profitable for you? So do be aware you're going to need some internal measurement because you are paying your staff by the hour. That is unless you want to change your staff contracts to be by the things they output, which ideally makes your business hyper-efficient. So do think of that. Billing by the month or billing by the project, you need to track that to know whether you're making money or not. So let's talk about value-based pricing. Pricing by value. And this is a totally different way of thinking of things we're not going to think of any more um, you know, the market will bear $1,000 for a tax return. Or, or think about, you know, clients have been paying four grand to, for these services, they'll continue to pay it. You know, there's gonna be competition out there, there's gonna be people undercutting you, there's gonna be people charging nothing for the services you provide, because they're hoping to provide other more profitable services. So you need to be quite across how that's gonna change. So the first thing you want to do is define value doing a tax return for somebody, an individual, probably has pretty low value. So if you look at the guys like H&R Block and and the, the quick tax return people, they're the ones who are really setting the scene for that low value transaction. And to be honest, the ATO are giving that away for free in Australia, and I'm sure in other jurisdictions, the tax offices are providing solutions for people to be able to do that. So it's important to think about what is the value of what you're doing? You need to talk to your clients and understand where that value is. Now advisory services can have enormous value. Um, I was having a conversation yesterday with a guy who, who helps with logistics and he was working with a firm that wanted to grow their warehousing and manufacturing and he allowed them to grow it and reduce their cost by the amount they needed to spend to grow their ability. So getting experts in to help you do that is really important. That's where you can deliver advisory. I wouldn't shy away from using other trusted partners to deliver services in areas that you don't specialise in. So as an accountant, you'll specialise in finance and money. You can find other partners who'll specialise in information technology or logistics or all sorts of other things that can help the business. You also need not just to think of value, but think of what the market will bear. So if you think back to the world of when computers first came into things, they offered a dramatic improvement in speed in getting things done. Now that improvement in speed has been absorbed into business cost models. So now that's there, nobody sees that improvement anymore. So you have to be aware that this needs to be a real value, not not a false one. And finally, you need to look at your cost of delivering that service. If your cost of delivering it is greater than the perceived value, then you probably shouldn't do that service or you should reduce the cost finally an an analogy for all of this yeah was this wonderful story about this massive engine in a, um, uh, 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 a production plant and the engine wasn't working and they finally found this this old guy who turned up with a hammer listened to the engine in three places hit it with the hammer The engine started working perfectly and they got an invoice for um, um, $20,000 for the man with the hammer. And they asked him to itemize the invoice and he said, hammer, $2, Yeah, $19,998 knowing where to hit the engine. So make sure that just because something doesn't take you very long to do, if it's a lifetime of experience that allows you to do it, it's certainly something that you can talk to your clients about, you can offer value, and you can charge money for. Hey, that's the end of the podcast. I'm going to do another one a little later in the week with Trevor, who will be a little freer back then. But I want to say thank you for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Bye for now.